With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If uh, you would analyze the meaning of the word man, the greatest example I could give, one of the greatest examples I could give would be Rick. He's a man and he's all man. Every bit of it. All of us were sore at him at one time or another. Uh, Rickenbacker used that method of getting us mad enough at him that we were going to live despite him. Rick would withhold his fire until he could frankly see the whites of the fellow's eyes, and he never missed. From my point of view, he could properly be considered the dean of the air transport industry. Captain Eddie, the Iron Eagle. The sound story of one of America's great heroes, Eddie Rickenbacker. Told by the people who have known him best. Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, a man of action, a man of many qualities and many sides, who stands today as a captain of industry, and who in the past has received America's highest award, the Congressional Medal of Honor. Captain Eddie is a man who has been near death many times, a man who fought against all odds to retain life. He is a man who has fought this country's battles and won, an ace of aces in the First World War, and later a stubborn visionary who had enough faith in the air age to build one of the country's major air services. This is Eddie Rickenbacker, a tough, wiry fighter, loved by some, feared by others, but respected by all. A tough man who believes in perseverance and hard work. His good friend Arthur Godfrey puts it this way. If uh, you would analyze the meaning of the word man... The greatest example I could give, one of the greatest examples I could give would be, Rick, he's a man and he's all man, every bit of it. Uh, he's a man like Kurt LeMay's a man, like J. Edgar Hoover's a man. They're, they're uh, human, they're warm, they're big-hearted. Uh, Rick is full of the love of his country, he's unafraid to die for his country. Uh, he, uh, he's the old school, you know. He, 
He has no time whatever for uh, this sloppy business of missing education and not working. You know, every time I see him, I saw him here about a month ago, and I said, doggone it, Rick, you look better now than you did five years ago. What are you doing? He says, working. <laughs> work, work, work is what does it, see? Eddie started this work at an early age. In fact, he was only 12 years old back in 1901 when he took his first job at $3.50 a week in a glass factory in Columbus, Ohio. His father, William, had just died, leaving his mother, Elizabeth, and seven other children. Eddie was well able to take care of himself. He'd smoked cigarettes by the time he was in the first grade, and he got into so many fights that he seemed to be trying to cultivate two permanent black eyes. But when the time came, he felt his responsibility and rose to it. In the next three years, he tried his hand at a variety of jobs. He was a foundry worker, a monument polisher, and a railroad roustabout. But then came 1905, and young Eddie found his great love, the internal combustion engine. Soon, Eddie became a crack mechanic, but this wasn't enough. He wanted to get behind the wheel, and it wasn't long before he achieved this goal. Well, I think my first uh, contact with Ed was at Sioux City, Iowa in 1913. Tommy Milton drove against Eddie many times after that as they pursued their hard and dangerous life across the continent. Uh, some promoters had scraped up a, a prairie and made a track out of it, and Ed was there with what was the predecessor of the Duesenberg car. It was a th three-day meet, uh, but the feature event was, oh, I think 150, maybe 200 miles, which Rick won in a very spectacular drive. I recall a race at uh, Columbus, Ohio, which incidentally I believe was Rick's hometown. Uh, and I think Rick was driving one of the Maxwell cars, which had been built by Ray Haroon. And he was leading the race. But the thing got away from him. He went through the outer fence. As I recall, Rick was not at all seriously injured in the mishap, however. Rick was much inclined to go out in front, and as long as his car stayed under him, he stayed out in front. That isn't necessarily the best way to win races. It's a lot of fun, though. Rickenbacker became a headliner, but he never came in better than 10th in the 500-mile race at Indianapolis. But he did set a new world speed record with the Blitz and Benz at Daytona Beach. But war threatened to step into this racing career, and Eddie had an idea. He wanted to organize the country's top racing drivers into a special flying unit that would be prepared to go overseas if the United States entered the war then raging in Europe. The government turned down his suggestion, but this didn't stop Eddie. He wanted to fly, and he would make it one way or another. He started from the ground up. Over there! Seven weeks after the U.S. declared war, Eddie was sworn in as a sergeant and went overseas as a driver attached to General Pershing's staff. And later he was assigned to drive Billy Mitchell around France. Eddie pestered the famous airman for a chance to fly, and the badgering finally paid off, even though he had to lie about his age. He was almost 27, two years over the limit for pilots. But he made it. On completion of his flying school... He was transferred to Issoudun Field as engineering officer. We had not been in Issoudun but a few days and under these very bad conditions uh, when we found that uh, everyone in command 
uh, had a German name. Reed Chambers, another immortal of the 94th Pursuit Squadron, tells what it was like at group headquarters. Uh, Carl Spots, at that time he spelled it S-P-A-A-T-Z. Uh, of course, we later found out that he was a Pennsylvania Dutchman. And as you all know, he became one of our great generals in World War II. He was officer in charge of flying. Uh, Herman Spiegel was officer in charge of transportation. Uh, Captain Wiedenbach uh, was adjutant. And Tittle was sergeant major. Wiedenbach and Tittle had both uh, served in the German army although they were naturalized American citizens, and spoke with a very decided German accent. In view of the fact that we were being treated as enlisted men, uh, and there were no airplanes to fly, no uh, flying fields to fly them off of it, uh, we were, of course, uh, very low in morale. And... Uh, it wasn't too long until we made up our minds that the officers in charge of Isabdun were a bunch of dirty German saboteurs. Uh, and uh, we uh, found that a guy in charge of engineering was named Rickenbacker. When he arrived, none of the gang would even speak to him. But I went up and uh, said hello and... Uh, we uh, immediately uh, started teaming up. With that, uh, my own crowd ostracized me. So that uh, none of the people that I had learned to fly with in the United States would talk to uh, Rickenbacker, and they wouldn't talk to me because I would talk to Rickenbacker. Those were rough days for Eddie. First he was grounded, and then ostracized by his fellow flyers. But the time finally came when he was to take his first patrol over enemy territory with Douglas Campbell, another green airman. About the end of March 1918, when our squadron had just been formed and equipped and was at uh, a place called Villeneuve near Epernay in the Champagne district of France, uh, Major Raoul Loughberry... Uh, who had made a great name for himself as an ace in the Lafayette Escadrille and had been uh, and had transferred to the United States Air Service and was uh, one of the flight commanders of our squadron uh, asked Rick and myself to uh, accompany him on a patrol over the lines near Rance. We were, of course, uh, delighted and excited because it was our first try at it. So we took off in our Newport 28s and uh, he led us over the lines up and down for uh, perhaps an hour and a half, an hour and three quarters, which was the extent of our fuel supply in those aircraft. Uh, but it seemed uh, most of the time a little dull. We uh, encountered some anti-aircraft fire uh, shortly after we got near the line.